Boss Baby is a contemporary phenomenon in terms of culture. <laughs> a, fi- a film starring Alec Baldwin as the titular Boss Baby in a universe in which babies are all produced by a corporation called Baby Corps in the Sky. And it's about Alec Baldwin's character going to a family. And I've talked about this is the fifth K, probably the fifth podcast. Yeah, I've been on the talk. I have submitted. I not actually I haven't submitted yet. I finished an abstract. I'm about to submit for the Boss Baby Academic Conference. What? Wow. Oh, my, 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 my peer reviewer comments is that this has some real Boss Baby vibes. Oh, this is what we. That's like my favorite tweet in the universe. It's we a good, fucking it's a good deserve this hellscape. <laughs> we deserve this hellscape. Yeah, it's a really. It's a really horrifying movie, to be completely honest. And I, I can't, I can't, I still can't stop thinking about it. I really can't. That's why it keeps coming. I up. wish There's a I'd never known that. Why did you tell me? Hey, I didn't bring it up. I can't go back. <laughs> yeah. Blame it on Justin. None of us can Fuck go you, back. Justin. Only, I'm quitting only the podcast. Forward. I'm done. Yeah. We're in a post-boss baby world. <laughs> That's. Exactly I find it, it very aspirational. I've always wanted to be a baby. You know, boss baby virginity. <laughs> what was? Oh my god! You guys got little sound effects? Yeah, man, I got soundboards. I got soundboards for days. Drops. <laughs> yeah, voice mod. You can actually buy it. You don't have to subscribe to it. You can buy it once, and you just own software. It's amazing. So it's a novel concept. It's called a lifetime subscription. I didn't know that was a thing anymore. Yeah, it's, it's called $30. Wow. Yeah. And then I can just play this. If I had to sum up the video game industry, I think that would probably. <laughs> <laughs> What's a video game? So they're like books, but made out of computers. Wow. Whoa. <laughs> that's a great idea man someone should make make some of those okay write that down I'm, I'm writing it down i'm writing it down we're gonna be fucking rich bro we're video rich. game <laughs> some of the boss baby discourse i'm so fucking mad i am so fucking mad you're it's cultural education there's no movie I've seen. I watch a lot of movies and there's no movie I've seen more recently that captures when we when we say we're living in a post boss baby moment, that means it is a demarcation in like an important historical object at this point because it is reflective of the past 20 30 years in American culture. I am culture. not the same for knowing what the boss baby is. You, you got to watch them. I don't want to watch it. You got it. You got to watch it. I know too much now. Yeah, well, you got to watch it. I know too much. I already know too much. I'm really happy to... I'm ruined. Bring this to your podcast. I'm ruined. (laughs) I can never get married now. (laughs) We just talked about The Godfather before episodes. Anger. Sexual lust. The sorts of things that you experience when you're playing a video game. All these concepts originated with Karl Marx.
I'm Justin. I'm a Skullcom librarian. My pronouns are he and him. I'm Sadie. I'm a sysadmin at a public library. My pronouns are she and they. I'm Jay. I'm an academic metadata librarian. My pronouns are he, him. I'm Carrie. I'm a health sciences librarian, and my pronouns are she, her, and fuck everything, especially the boss baby. And we have guests. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Kay, you're first. I'm first. Okay. Read the sheet, Kay. <laughs> Read the sheet. Is there an order on the... Oh, shit. Oh, fuck. Yeah, there is. Oh, Gosh, shit. Your ass. Oh, now, now you're going to have to edit it. Oh, fuck. No, don't. Leave it in. Um, yeah, I'm K. It's the of, boss, baby. It's the, I'm, the I'm K of, of boss baby fame. Not a lot of people know that I wrote, directed, and starred in every uh, role in, in the boss baby film. Uh, and as like a little side gig, uh, I, I'm, I, I do a channel, K and Skittles. That's me. And my name is Kyle. Uh, I'm Labor Kyle on the internet and I'm a academic historian of antiquity and also the foremost scholar of boss baby history and you can find my forthcoming essay on the boss babies uh, criterion release sometime <laughs> next spring uh we're still still figuring out the dates on it you know <laughs> that's my pick from the criterion closet <laughs> What if the Criterion is run by babies? No, it's got the minimalist that is in Kang cover, but instead of a K, it's just a B. Oh my god. That's perfect. <laughs> it really is. I'm a genius. So, Kay and Kyle are here from the AGAB podcast, and I just wanted to get the plugs out of the way at the beginning. What is AGAB? You know, that's a great question. I'm so glad you asked. Uh, so it is. <laughs> All gamers are bastards. <laughs> how, can you, how can you really, with something as, as lowly as words, put a definition on, on a, a work of such caliber? That's the kind of question that we like to ask uh, on a podcast such as, such as Agab. Now we we you know we talk about video games. Uh, our whole thing is every episode we'll talk about a specific game, uh, and and do a bit of a you know a, a an analysis and discussion about it. So hopefully people will uh, you know uh, hear something and be like oh, I want to play that, or maybe think about something they've already played a little differently. Yeah, in the same like we make video essays and talk a lot about culture and we play a lot of video games, and so we kind of just pick a, pick a text, discuss the text in just kind of whatever direction we feel like it needs to go that week. And any kind of game from our, our most recent episode, I think that's out right now, being on a Rockstar Games release with Red Dead Redemption 2 to more independent titles to other video games like The Boss Baby, which is a video game. Yeah. The, Sopran the Sopranos we discussed. That's also a video game. And then we discussed what else? What else did we talk about? Um, it's it's really <laughs> it's really those two video games for the most part. Especially recently, we've been talking about the Sopranos a lot. Yeah. 
sometimes we'll uh, that's right right. i've never seen the sopranos but all of trans twitter's really into the sopranos right now that's because it's good yeah i want to watch it so bad james gandolfini is fucking hot so yeah finally some good fucking taste finally some good taste on the internet jesus i'm 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 more of a um silvio myself because you don't disrespect <laughs> the Bing. All right, I respect that. Yeah, that's right. That's my take. Also, adorable cat, Kyle. Oh, thank you. Yeah, he's a ham, so he'll yeah. cl- climb up the chair at some point. Yeah, that's a, that's a beef. It's a beef. Yeah, that's right. Wow, he's not even looking at us. Like, he's too uh, cool for whatever's going on over here. Uh, the cats, man, they just kind of do... God, I wish that was me. Hi. <laughs> Arthur's like afraid of my giant beanbag chair. He won't get on it. And he gets sad because on the couch he likes to sit behind me. But so we probably won't see Arthur tonight. I'm so sorry. Aww. I deprived the bunnies so that they'd stop chewing on cardboard because it was extremely loud and I could hear it in my own headphones. Bunnies are crafty. <sighs> <laughs> yep. Okay, so no segment this week. Not that there wasn't any tomfoolery to report on, but I'm sure like the, the ALA did something awful or, or some someone had a, a bad take on how libraries are doing prior restraint by not buying books or something. Apparently there's like some that. code for lib journal nonsense uh, dropped uh, today, but I haven't read it, so yeah. Because that's the one the issue they rejected my proposal for, so fuck them. <laughs> yeah, so fuck them. Yeah, th- there was it was something about anonymized data and and research on library users and it's like they didn't properly anonymize the data and still published it. It's weird. Anyway, so we're skipping all that. And I, I've been wanting to do a video game episode for a while. The difficult thing is not a whole lot of libraries collect video games and not a whole lot of literature gets written about it. So I I thought I would invite on some people who know a lot about video games and academia in general. And and you uh, have both talked about this on your podcast where you've talked about issues of video game preservation and stuff like that. And I wanted to tie it into just libraries trying to navigate the world of video games and trying to provide video games to their users. Because, I mean, preservation is all good, but there's also a, a whole lot of just usage. So what's going on in video game land? I, I put it some stuff in the notes, which will be in the show notes about how we've got kind of two problems. And I think the first one that's easy to get out of the way is cloud streaming games. Like, I know, Kay, you have like a a thing against like Stadia. Yeah. So a big thing is just like, you don't own physical games anymore. You're streaming them. There's no preservation. And a lot of people want to move to this model almost exclusively to the point where you can't buy physical games anymore. Do you want to speak on like trends to that? Yeah, I mean, there's a few problems with cloud streaming. First and foremost, I don't think it works very well, at least at, at the moment. So, I mean, all, all other things are, are still a bit moot because I don't. it just doesn't fucking work. It, it kind of uh, always online gameplay has kind of been a plague in the industry for a while. And this is just going to turn that up to 11 as well. Uh, that's before even getting into the problem of, yeah, you won't own anything. You won't. If they decide that game's gone now, it's gone now. 
and there's nothing you can do about it, which they eventually have with any kind of a with any kind of online service, you know, eventually outdated things, they just drop them, they get rid of them, or maybe they want to sell you a remake of a 10 year old game. You know what? That game's gone now, buddy. Or maybe, Hey, maybe you want to mod this game. Well, that might be difficult. You don't have access to any actual game files. You're getting a little stream. Basically all the things other than just like the uh, surface level consumption of the game are enormously hindered by this and even the consumption of the game if you don't have a good internet connection just is not going to happen either it's just uh it's just it's a shit idea i wouldn't recommend it uh they really want to push it because uh, you know they want to have full control of of uh, these properties and i think they also maybe they hope it becomes like a netflix kind of thing remember when netflix was in its heyday piracy really dropped um, yeah. before there was like a hundred different streaming services. Now it's kind of coming back because you need to spend a fortune to get everything. Now they're kind of hoping for that, but uh, I, it's, I don't think it's going to happen personally with issues of, with issues of all kinds of issues of preservation and like archive stuff, which I know is very like archival work and stuff exists in this like Venn diagram with work in the historical preservation, library, public history, all of this, like the sort of public humanities that like sometimes it's public, sometimes it's not, sometimes it's nonprofit, sometimes it's not, but it like in the same way with all of the types of stuff that we approach really on the podcast too, with gaming, it's useful to sort of stand and look backwards, sort of ask two questions, right? One, the preservate, the historical preservation, archival curation, historical curation question. How is something going to be preserved? Who's preserving it? Who has right to the source code, the IP, whatever? And how do people gain access to this, which, you know, is going to be fee-based subscription services. It seems to be the goal for literally all culture. As a result, it's also worth asking a sort of similar, but you know, separate question, how do we see the industry going and what types of things do they want to do in order to create and give to give consumers access to new goods that are produced as exclusively on their platforms for their particular audiences and under the constraints of their particular copyright claims to various intellectual properties? Well, it looks like fee-based subscription services <laughs> is going to be that kind of a thing as well. And as Kay was saying, like the first problem is that they don't work that great. The one on PlayStation, the cloud-based stream, like it's okay, but okay, okay considering like what the alternative could be in terms of like publicly publicly sourced emulation this sort of like exists standing in the scaffolding of popular game culture around video games for as long as they've been able to be digitized in this way. So I think I think what's interesting is that it's going to, the sort of disnification, both in the like ephemeral cultural sense of like the types of stuff that we're probably going to get, as well as in the most literal sense with like, you know, that viral map of all of the stuff that Disney owns. I think about, when I think about what's going to happen in video games, I think about what Microsoft is doing, which like, like th name a game and Microsoft technically owns it. People are talking about the new Psychonauts. I think Microsoft technically owns that. All the Fallout games now, 
Microsoft owns that. They own like Doom and Wolfenstein and the studios that make all of these games. Sea of Thieves, the Forza series. So there's a there's this sort of gold rush that's happening in like small studio acquisition and a lot of this like it's just like the rest of the sort of culture industry, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, you've you've only got like a handful of really big publishers at this point. And then, and then when you you think of smaller ones that you used to know, like they're all owned by the big ones now. But capitalism encourages innovation. <laughs> <laughs> It is sad to think that the the goal of indie studios may increasingly be to be bought by Microsoft, you know, uh, and survival. And, yeah. yeah, I remember. Uh, I think it was the studio that made um, Hellblade. I think they got bought up by Microsoft and then their next project was like a weird like battle royale type game that I don't I don't know if that ever came out. I don't think anyone cared about it. Everything's just gonna be Fortnite. Yeah, I, I, Epic I, Games <laughs> is, has a mall. Oh, they bought a <laughs> they bought a mall for their headquarters. We talked about it on the podcast a while back. Can yeah. you call it like the the Coom Mall, <laughs> <laughs> the Coom Dungeon, the, the Fortnite Coom. Jack Off Emporium? I believe <laughs> I was another. I heard <laughs> that word, Justin. <laughs> no, you didn't. I didn't. No. Oh. <laughs> Oh dear. I was just thinking of that really good Dan Olson video about um, manufactured discontent in, in Fortnite. Have you all seen that? Um, yeah. Where it talks about they hold like concerts and stuff. And also, it's like, well, you could get yeah. this character in this pose, but only for like this time. And it costs this much money because it's free to play. But, you know, all the fun stuff is with this cost. And yeah, like people are having concerts inside of Fortnite and shit. They do it in Minecraft yeah. too, they have what? music festivals in Minecraft. I feel so old. I have these darn kids in their fort craft. We got to stop them. <laughs> well, they did put, they did recently uh, celebrate the March on Washington. Oh, uh, no. the Martin Luther King's uh, speech as well inside of. Okay. Fortnite. I remember that. March that. on Washington. <laughs> yeah they did they did that there is a there's like a kind of curated exhibit with within some probably well-meaning programmers did something that was not a really a good idea but this is this is kind of what like and, and sorry we're you know riffing or whatever but this is honestly probably kind of what video games are going to be like a little more in the future we can expect a certain level of curated experience to go into gaming and if that's always been kind of a wash in some in some ways in my opinion like MMOs online gaming now arena battlers and like all like all these just types of online gaming stuff is it's really it's it takes it needs to take primacy in the conversation because it's where most people are going I think it was a there's a the, I think it was Brian David Gilbert for who does a lot of great stuff on gaming and it was one of his last things at Polygon he had a video to where he was going to come up with a formula to calculate based off of sales and popularity and reviews and stuff the best game of the year and by the time he built up to that 20 minute you know video at the end of it uh it 
his formula spit out, well, Fortnite, because Fortnite sold eight bazillion, it made 80 bazillion dollars. It made a real amount of money, but like. And like even his mom had heard of it or something. Yes. Yeah. It made an absurd, absurd amount of money in mostly microtransactions. And also like they sued Apple, Epic Games sued Apple at one point to basically to try and there it got into this court battle with Apple to try and basically figure out ways to collect fees for to collect money from microtransactions through a different way besides the app store so they could circumvent the 30% fee that Apple charges for those. So yeah, it's as with the rest of capitalism, the theme of these things. It's very incestuous and strange to sort you of. You mean like the Boss Baby? <laughs> yeah, it's a lot like the Boss Baby. <laughs> There's nothing incestuous about Boss Baby. Don't don't bring it there. <laughs> There's a lot of that's Freudian about Boss Baby. <laughs> don't sully Boss Baby. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine there's a tough time like ever trying to preserve any of these games. It just seems impossible. But the the twin problem with cloud gaming that I wanted to bring up for context is the sort of locking in of physical media. So we've got now these this story I put in the notes about PlayStation 3 games and PlayStation all PlayStation 4 games. So the problem is basically that PS3 games that you downloaded off of the PlayStation Network, and all PS4 games, because the physical games are tied into and authenticated through the network, those all have to talk to the PlayStation Network. And if the network goes away, eventually your CMOS battery will die. And it, even if you replace the battery, it needs to talk to a network. So even if you replace the battery now, it will eventually die and it will eventually no longer be able to connect and authenticate. And even your physical games, uh, as I understand it, will be gone. Is that is that correct? From my reading of that article, yeah, that's pretty much correct. Uh, I was going to say, I remember the first time, God, I think it was PS3, actually, that I, I got a game and I went, stuck the disc in to go play it. And it took two hours to fucking download, and I was so mad because I bought a disc so I could sit down and play that shit right then and there, <laughs> and it wait I had to wait two hours for it. But yeah, no the the CMOS battery thing. Like I, I wonder if there is going to be people who will somehow hack it so we can get around that. But I feel like that's definitely going to become a very niche thing. So yeah, fuck PlayStation. Yeah, I mean, that I, I think that what you're touching on there is, is going to become the reality here where your crime, crime is going to be the only way, you know, to access a lot of these things. Because, yeah, Sony's just going to let it all go. So, I mean, emulation is a, a necessary thing to do, really, to even begin to be able to preserve this stuff. Because when it comes to digital copies... They could they could snatch it away at any time. When it comes to physical copies, I mean, with things like these batteries, even that isn't going to be a, a, a long term guarantee. And uh, they just they want you to buy, uh, you know, the remake of, of if it's a popular game, you know, in in a few years time. And if it's not popular, then they don't care because they're not selling enough of it, so it's just gone. And if you loved it, well, sucks to be you, because we're not here because we care about the art form. We're Sony. We are here to make just preposterous amounts of money all the time and 
everything is, you know, subjugated to that, obviously. My grandkids are going to love Skyrim. Oh, man. guys, what are your favorite Skyrim versions? <laughs> See, I haven't like gotten a, a video, like a new video game, like physical system since like I had the like brick PS2. Not that nice. skinny shit, but the <laughs> brick that came with like a weird fantasy RPG frogger. And then I had like a GameCube and then the the Game Boy like SD SP, yeah. SP is that what it was? I have yeah, no idea. No, yeah. yeah, and then and then I just like never owned a game system ever again in my life. So when I would go over to someone's house and it was like, why is this connected to the internet? What are you doing? And then it's like I'm like I was just so confused. I'm like why? The, but you have a disc, <laughs> and it's now it's yeah like yeah. my ugh. I just like don't get it. It was this whole thing that passed me by, and now I'm like, what's a video game? <laughs> it really has like it's changed in so many bad ways in the from the like like in, in the, there there was there was always this kind of gap in hardware that home consoles were supposed to fix right it's it's the same mode as always you just kind of go back to the root of the mode of production that produced the gaming industry which is home consoles that is consumer good that's available to a large variety of people that they can bring home and basically like take all points of production and take it somewhere else and then so we can just like bring these things to market people can go get them companies can fight it out and whoever's going to be best can come in and you know that's capitalism and it, it will it will work perfectly fine and there will be no problems whatsoever the only problem is that it doesn't ever exactly work that way it what ends up happening is the the contemporary monopoly like i'm a history teacher and i spent a lot of time talking about the transition in the united states from the end of the 19th into the 20th century basically the end of the gilded age and the various especially economic booms and busts that came with that period of enormous growth as well as wealth inequality in the united states and i'm not into one-for-one -one historical analogies because they're wrought with problems and good historians don't really do that. But there's this new like element of the culture industry that is like reminding me a lot of the monopoly wars that led to horrible economic crashes at the in the you know 1870s and the 1880s. And for all of the you know problems that come with economic recession, clearly we've all been through them. One of the benefits that come is that through there's a galvanizing and resurging sort of opposition that like reconfigures itself and rises to meet in conflict. You know, workers fight back. That's the sort of predominant historical trend that has remained true to this day. But the problem is you take all of this stuff that we have, and I'm sure as people who work in libraries, you understand what it's like you take and dump on top of it a whole bunch of like workers rights issues. And so you have what we he keep hearing in the news is stuff about what's happening at blizzard and sort of like systemic sex problems of sexual harassment and wage inequality and workplace, like just really tough, bad places to work, stressful environments that are like, like crunch time, like, crazy deadlines, people working themselves to death, basically. 
and they got tricked into this in the same way that all the rest of us get brought into, you know, sort of our workplaces because we're passionate about the things that we love this stuff and we care a lot about it. I know that that's true of why I wanted to be an academic. And then you get there and you look around and you go, oh, uh, it's not great in here. And as it turns out, there's been this sort of, there's the problem of these convergence of historical forces, I guess, is what I'm saying, that are manifest in the way that we're going to be able to preserve any of this stuff. Kay's totally right that emulation is the like only really solution is because the modern problem of our deindustrialized society exists at the nexus of consumer culture and the internet. So like what does our hardware do and how does it function and who brings it to whom and who has control over it? And with corporate monopolies, corporate monopolies plus, you know, worker atomization and like rampant consumer culture and like a, a struggle to reconcile the way that we engage with culture and to think about it perhaps in some kind of a, uh, a more radical way. Preservation in the, the humanities, historical preservation, archival preservation, the humanities become, they take primacy. Uh, it's a it's the same thing because it's not just that way for video. I'm so sorry that I'm going on one of my, uh, I have, I, these are trademark rambles, um, but like. I'm taking it. <laughs> it's like, see, it's, it's, well, okay, okay, thank you. It's, it's source code preservation, but it's also media asset preservation as well. Not yet. Yeah, the, the curation and the archival collection of video games, it exists in this sort of like broad spectrum because it came up in the digital age. And now it's just like, if there isn't some sort of like public effort from like people and workers in this sort of industry to do something about it, it's just going to be like Disney and Amazon are going to own everything. And if you pay $59.99 a month, you can go on and play video games for 90 minutes before you like, you know, have to go back and wait in line in the digital cloud or whatever. It'd be it's gonna. It's just. It's gonna suck because all the stuff that those guys make sucks. You know. <laughs> yeah, I think the consumerism is a big part of something Kay mentioned earlier, which was the the re-release market, the ability to control re-releases. That there's going to be no personal preservation. And I think what you're saying is because of we've got to look at the whole line of production of intellectual property, and and it's it's going to take as I understand what you're saying, some sort of labor action as well as other types of, you know, maybe legislation or something in order to make sure that preservation is even possible. Yeah. Yeah. Workers and the human, the public humanities as we need to think about the public humanities in a more Marxian way. And I think that'd be the way to accomplish that. Absolutely. I was going to go back to what you just said about how like you wait, like you, you log in and you get to play whatever for 90 minutes and then you have to go wait back in line. Like, you know, what that reminds me of library eBooks. Ah. <laughs> the look on Jay's face right now. Like, yeah, you pay six times more than the average consumer and you only get to check it out three weeks at a time, you know, for 52 checkouts. Some until... of those eBooks cost more than my car did. Yeah. Like, per yeah. year <laughs> oh yeah, so, yeah yeah streaming media yeah for like a shitty book no one's gonna read <laughs> called out that book oh yeah 
but yeah, especially like medical and scientific ebooks. Holy shit! Like a multi, like a an unlimited seat, an unlimited seat, which usually means three hundred and sixty six seats. BT dubs is like some of those are ridiculous. When I worked at Utah, one of the like number one reference questions we would get was, "Why can't I access this?" Like, is it Wiley? The one that's like all the the coding yep, that's and all the medical medical one yeah. seat. O'Reilly is coding one seat all the time, and so the professor would be like, "The library has this for free," and so you knew a class was happening when all the students were like, "I can't access the book." Like, I'm like, what fucking idiot, like, said that was a good model for a library for this very popular book. The, you know, academic publishing industrial complex. Well, what librarian is not emailing that person? Yeah, this just reminds me of watching libraries just get screwed super hard when it came to digital books. Yeah, especially like with Overdrive and audiobooks, all that shit. And then we don't even own them. Because we have to pay for it every year. And even if we do like own it, it's still subject to all this licensing of like what conditions you can use it in, what software you can use it with. We don't own like 90% of our shit anymore. Fee subscription pay. Yeah. Annual subscription services. This is going to be. Talk to some librarians to see your future. (laughs) Wow. I, I didn't realize that libraries had to do a subscription for audiobooks and stuff. For most things we have. That's oh, that's yeah. fucked, yeah. man. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Yeah, most things. <laughs> yeah, everything's a subscription. So, like, when when they're like, "Hey, we got free movies at the library online. Stream your movies." That's all being paid on an annual subscription, and sometimes per per title. That's why New York Public Library got rid of Canopy. Yeah. By the way, because it was Ooh. like they were running out of money. With how many people were using Canopy because they were doing like a, what was it, like a pay on demand thing where they didn't like get a certain amount per year. It's just like if someone accessed a thing that wasn't already in the catalog, it just charged them, which works Ooh. well for some libraries. But yeah, New York Public Library was like running out of money. Yeah, they're huge. Yeah, yeah. that is like the number one service that we get requested by patrons because they'll be like King County and Seattle Public are kind of close to where I am. So a lot of people are used to, you know, having that array of services. And then they come to this tiny little rural library and they're like, why don't you guys have, you know, Canopy? And we're like, because it would literally bankrupt us. So Mm. it's the number one thing requested and also the number one thing refused. So if video games are moving away from having physical copies and then libraries would be expected to also subscribe to that model, so if they charge like regular people individual subscription prices, the inflation for what they would charge libraries because libraries are make are like taking business away because anytime someone uses it at the library, that's a, they're not buying it. So they inflate the prices. It like we wouldn't be able to do it at all. Yep. They just yeah. won't happen. We paid about fifty thousand a year for canopy before we had to throttle it, I think. Yeah, that sounds low. <laughs> Yeah, that is pretty low. Yeah, yeah. We still have a mediated. We have a. We still have a mediated use contract with Canopy. Yeah, we do too. Um, because we have a film program, so pretty pretty clutch over at over at uh, the old institution. Give me a pizza. <laughs> 
Yeah, but I don't think it's likely that there would be library subscriptions to video game services. But what I wanted to talk about, because we got the CMOS issue, and so like even if we were to buy physical copies, you can't really like loan out physical copies anymore. And so what I'm, I'm trying to think of like public libraries getting away from the preservation a little bit. Like, what could libraries do to actually provide people with game collections because we've had them in the past we still have them but are we going to be able to do them in the future and if mainstream titles are moving all subscription so the same way like a library can't get netflix there's no way we could get you know microsoft gaming epic store or whatever so i was thinking what's the alternative which is like do we just collect indie games instead is that what we're going to do and I wanted to get your, uh, you guys' opinion on like indie game distribution. Is that even possible to get indie games physically and, and reusably? There's a barrier to entry there in terms of production as well as there's the batteries. There's there's the corporate dis- disincentivizing, right? The best example that I can think of is how Nintendo on the Switch gives you credit towards other games when you purchase them digitally rather than in physical copies. You'll get these little gold coins that you can put. That's based. That's actually money. It's basically pennies. And if you just buy stuff on their eShop, it'll put some money toward you know another game. Or you can you can basically spend them whatever you want. If you have a dollar fifty sitting in there, put it on your next purchase or whatever. There's the gamification part of it. There's you know it's 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 basic internet monetizing you know BS that usual stuff. And then there's the the hardware problem, I have a friend of mine who buys old Super Famicom games off of eBay and has to, and all, most of the time has to replace the batteries on the inside of them because the batteries have died, but you can essentially take out a game to where one hasn't died, swap it out or whatever. But like a lot of that stuff is going away too. And so there's like, yeah, retro gaming is big and cool. Like people like that. But if we're trying to use the public humanities and the library in particular as as a sort of an offensive social institution as an as an of- offensive not offensive as in like bad but like as in versus defensive a place of social mobilization a commons if you will an active commons in public life because of the way that the industry has worked you start to cede some of that territory i think uh, i don't know Kay, what do you think I think that a reason that things like torrent sites and other sort of file sharing communities and stuff have been so crucial to um, preserving games is specifically because it's really hard to legitimately do it because, yeah, like you said, I mean, physical copies of, of indie games just for a lot of them aren't feasible. We we did an episode of Agab. It's not out yet. I think it's the next one that'll be out about a game called The Forgotten City, which was made by like three people. They're just not gonna be able to you know mass produce like discs and stuff it started out as a mod it was a skyrim, a skyrim mod, mod. Yeah. yeah it all comes back to skyrim baby that's my favorite re-release of skyrim it's the the forgotten city mod <laughs> yeah completely different game <laughs> yeah it's great <laughs> it is it rules <laughs> yeah um so it, it becomes one of those things where like legally you're you're gonna it's hard it's hard to to actually preserve this legally um it was a really big hit when Nintendo 
uh, a few years ago really came after a load of emulator sites like MU Paradise, which was always my go to for like a decade, uh, got gutted and a few other ones because that's kind of uh, that's kind of what you need. And I think the strength of, of torrenting is it's a little more decentralized. There's no like one site you can take down and then it's all gone like the Pirate Bay got sort of taken down, but there's mirrors of it and there's a million other sites. You know, it's not the same as MU Paradise where it's like, well, that's all gone now. I sure hope somebody else has backups of those games somewhere because <laughs> a lot of them, you know, you can't get legit copies at all anymore. It has this like, part. I think you've really pointed out where the sort of, the, the idea of emulation and free distribution of like digital objects and culture, whatever sits atop of, I think the function of the public humanities as well as the library system or like a, like a good healthy library system would function in this de- this node-based decentralized sort of network that sort of constitutes and reconstitutes itself based off of the circumstances of what it needs, right? We're talking about rural libraries versus a large public library in the sense that like that's how emulation has functioned based off of like a material almost like and not even in this sort of like pure sense of production like I take hammer, go make part of car that becomes car, I get wage. Not even just in the sense of wage labor, but in the sense of like work. Emulation was done by like a lot of people in their spare time people who do, did computer program, people who taught themselves computer programming, got into modding and emulating and uh, various, you know, j- just these various sort of like sub communities within gaming. And I don't know how to, I don't know how to turn it into something more than like, I like it, it, emulation being on attack is not only really, really bad because we need emulation as an alternative to basically the corporate, the big corporate blob that's coming. But also because it offers the structure and the framework through which we think about gaming in a less commodified way, in a more liberated sense. Like to be serious about games, people like it. Like, yeah, sometimes they're terrible, but they're really bad movies. I've watched I've watched so many very bad movies. There's so much so there's so much that's interesting in them. But at the same time, like there's there's cultural garbage, there's there and the and the, there's a lot of value. Regardless, video games is something that's come up, it's stuck around, and it's here to stay. Okay, so how do we how do we make some sort of political statement on that front? And I think access is the end. And who has access and is and how is it distributed? Is it distributed freely and equitably, or is it distributed on a uh, fee based subscription service that scales based off of? how much your rent costs from all, the most rent to the most most rent because rent is just expensive now that's just how it works yeah we're like i don't know we're like we like emulation is important because yeah it offers us both of those things I, I think that's what i'm trying to say i don't know yeah i just had a thought about on the ebook front where like jay was saying there's a lot of situations where we can't get even we can't get more than one user license at a time, but sometimes you can't get any ebook license and they just refuse to sell to libraries. And so New York and Maryland have created laws that say, if you sell to consumers, you have to sell to libraries. And it just struck me that that's already hard enough to force publishers of books to sell to libraries. I really don't see political will of that happening for video games, but 
it could be that you could have some sort of legislation that says, okay, if you were going to sell something as a digital service, you have to sell it in some sort of physical medium if you are this size company. Because again, that doesn't really work for indie indie developers. It doesn't work for the people who put their games out on Itch.io, but a lot of them don't sell their games anyway. So I'm just trying to think, I'm I'm just thinking practically right now. I've just got, I've I've got my e-resources hat on trying to think about like, how could we actually provide this service? We literally Uh, have to think practically about this because like it, that's where everything, it, it starts from like, how is this industry regulated? Who are the political players? Who has a vested interest in seeing this being democratized? Who would have a vested interest with the right amount of political persuasion? There are so many like, that's how you, it's, you know, Mr. Bill, he's only a bill on Capitol Hill. That's how it, the problem with that, you know, is that before the bill, it needs to be the production and the the forwarding of political willpower. And like, it's hard to get people to do that with consumption, but we can't, we can't put up a fight if we're not willing to just be like, how can, how can video games look different? You know, I think you're right on. Yeah. So, so what I'm hearing you say, uh, Kyle is gamers rise up. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, a big problem with video games and the reason that the industry has been able to get away with so much shit and just absolutely taking the piss at every corner is that gamers are little piggies, little, little oinkies, little oink hogs. Cause like, uh, compared to like people who, you know, care about literature compared to film weirdos, uh, gamers far and away are just, they love to be dirty little consumers. They love for Sony to spank them and tell them they've been bad. They love it. So it's really, really hard. And I think it requires a a serious effort to create sort of a cultural change amongst people who care about this art form, which I I do think has slowly been happening. I think that some of the more vapid movie Bob-esque ways of of consuming uh, are are becoming a little bit more, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, Gauche. Gauche, yeah, gauche. A bit more of a faux pas, if you will. Which is good. That's a good direction for culture in general to move in. But I think there's still a lot uh, of, of movement required within uh, amongst gamers. They they don't want to rise up. They want more amiibos. <laughs> and that's that's a problem oh. to think about. Yeah, I only kind of understand what an amiibo is. It's like a little action figure, but Kinda, like you yeah, get stuff in game for it. How I remember when Griffin that? McElroy would like stick them in his mouth and review yeah, they're food, way. right? I think so. <laughs> he puts in his, that's food. Griffin wouldn't steer us wrong. Exactly. He's a thirty under thirty some bullshit. I don't know. Yeah, so he knows what's food and what isn't. I trust him completely on this one. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of worried about like if we only had indie games. You know, because I could see a lot of public libraries having like one guy who would be like, here are freeware games and here here's itch.io, here's how you use it. It's not really a subscription, but like libraries are about service too. So like teaching people how to find freeware games and stuff like that. You could definitely get a group of librarians together who care about. There are so many librarians into like tabletop gaming and creating tabletop clubs that we could easily have a same thing for, for video gaming. Youth librarians are an untapped resource in this area, I'm sure. They're they've exactly got so that, much energy. They, they've, got that, they, they've got exactly that kind, of, that kind of interest and vibe. Yeah. I know the University of Utah does a lot with 
video game stuff because there's like a video game like design like program there like a you can major in like video games i got my master's from a a very stemmy instead a literally a the university of central florida which was literally created to make engineers for cape canaveral uh i thought it was just for people to i know to go to and then drop out drink themselves into death and they, they, they drop out and stands for you can't finish is what they used to say yeah, <laughs> yeah in, any college with central in its name always, always has something yeah it always has second only yeah. to colleges with south in the name which is where i got my bachelor's in florida i'm florida man nice. through and through always that yeah. i live in massachusetts now but yeah uh I've been sneaking Floridians onto the podcast for a while. See, now. this is how this is how we. My dad was born in Miami. Do Does that count for me? Do you just like have magnets where you just attract each other? So we got somehow? Mitchell. Yeah. yeah. Actually, um, my grandma Love it. lives in Florida. Yeah, my Everyone's like dad grew grandma. up there. My uncle still lives there. And like we used to go there all the fucking time. Been there a lot. I grew up there. I- I moved to Texas three years ago. I'm very tempted to have everyone name all the cities in Florida that they've been to, but I'll resist that. No, there's a. I haven't been to that. I, I'm not cut out for the bayou. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Kay, my dad almost got eaten by barracuda one time in Florida. Yeah, see, not for me. K K has this uh, quality to what in which they they travel in. A large cauldron of uh, of a mystic substance that can't reach certain temperatures, which is why they're a Canadian expat in the UK. Um, yeah, the north of the UK, we don't engage with the south bits. It's no. Well, you've also formally seceded rancid. from the southern part of the UK. Correct. Is your Earl Grey tea really good? Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> yeah, isn't it from the north because the water has a specific quality to it or something? I have no idea, to be honest with you. <laughs> All tea tastes the same to me. It's you know, it's it's fine. It's brown. <laughs> it's sometimes brown. it's other colors, and that makes me very angry. Mm, um, yeah, no. British people. <laughs> British people are, are comically uh, opposed to to foreign teas. Uh, you know, without getting into you know the foreign they stole of, them all. Of tea, but, <laughs> well, that's yeah. Right. yeah, but that's they right. like the really basic teas and nothing else. That's exactly how the racism works. Collect yeah. all the spices, use none of them. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want them, but you can't have them either. That's right. Let's exploit this in just the right way. <laughs> yeah, it is very British to see how bad they can make something. Yeah, that's the whole project of this country is take yeah. something and be like, could the it be shittier? of, you know, that was <laughs> British imperialism was... <laughs> Yeah. I mean, look at me. Damn. Owned. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, no, you, you brought up a university education. I went to like a real STEM heavy school that has this like now the program. It, it's one of those programs that exists in practice. It's really kind of messed up. But in an ideal world, it's very useful if you complete two years with a, I think a 3.0 or 3.2 at a, at a community college, you can transfer to the university of central Florida. I went to state school for a reason. Florida actually has some of the best in-state tuition in the entire country. And I, yes, (laughs) I still am buried in student loan debt. That's how 
bad the situation is. But it was really useful for like, one thing I get frustrated with history departments is that they're upset. And this is no, like, there's no way that the graduate director, my department, who I am, a, I, I love, I adore her. History departments have to chase that bag just like any other humanities departments do nowadays. And one of the ways to do that is to get contracts with the Department of Defense to do basically historic preservation of often just it's just gravestones of World War One vets, like in this case. That's a good project. That's a great project. They were actually were logging and tracking uh, 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 tracking African American troop troop services, use it to publish papers. It gave grad students and undergrads who worked on the project some publication credits. They were able to get paid for their work. Like that's a win. But the problem is that the precedent exists not within to create some new space within the public humanities that can like capitalize on the people I know who work in STEM who want to do do more to be involved in public history who I've been on panels with who come up to me. Why do I have people who these these biology PhDs keep coming up to me and saying, man, I love what you do. I wish I were doing what you're doing. It's just like, well, motherfucker, let's do it. And the reason and a way to do that is within like one of the largest like places in which people consume culture where we can have a say, not just in the way that people get things, not just in the way that is preserved, archived and curated and presented back to the public as historical objects, but also in the way that it's produced, also in the mode of production itself and like contributing more to sort of a public space of gaming. I think, you know, there's a lot that can be had with it. And not to sound like a neoliberal yay maker spaces bullshit, whatever but i feel like video games are one of the realms where like the combination of more engineering computer sciencey type skills plus like narrative storytelling and design and all this stuff those can all exist in one person it can be a team of people with all these different skills together it seems like i mean i don't know what a video game is but like it seems like this realm where all of these things that we keep touting, like, hey, school children, you got to do your engineering so you can have a job. But for put art in there, remember, too. But it's like this is already happening, and there are some really great things coming out of it. Like, uh, the first video game I played in, like, fucking years was I did, like, Disco Elysium when I went on vacation, like, a month or two ago. Nice. And that was just fucking, like, it looks like an oil painting. There was communism. <laughs> it was really complicated Should politically. Watch but video I was, that I'm Yeah, in. but I was still, That's like, right. a communist in it. Was Obama like, there? <laughs> No, but <laughs> you know the. Never mind. <laughs> oh, I was making a but, bad joke. But yeah, like just like the the sort of level of like engaging with like this like political and economic theory, and also like labor theory, but also like someone had to make a video game out of it. Like it kind of just blew me away. So yeah, like this realm where all of that comes together in a way that I don't really think it does in the same way in, in other places. And yeah, we have the digital humanities, but that, that seems so like individualized. And I know it's not always necessarily, but it can be, they're trying to make, if they have any say in it, they're going to make it to where we're all shoved in our little culture pods at university. And we learn what, you know, the university of Burger King wants us to know about culture. Like it's English literature is only important if you can do Python as well. Oh, it's going to suck rather than like, I hated Jill humanities for so long because I'm like, they only care because computers are involved. and And see, that's the problem is that it's not just as you're saying this, estuary 
to where there are these two spaces at the pl- the place in which they meet is where new things are produced, which like gaming is absolutely that. And like an example that jumped to mind is that there's a like text-based gaming is a, is huge and everyone I fucking love playing text games. I've actually. been playing them since I was <laughs> like, a kid. Like even starting out with like text-based adventure games and now just like, you know, all kinds I of stuff. I played that shade game, like the text interactive one where you like your whole house turns into sand. Oh, that rules. It was cool. There's point and click games that I've played. There's like there's games where you can like dungeon crawl and date your sword. There's game like it's just it's it's kind of great, but it made me think like there's there was a there's a piece of labor news that stuck out to me because it was a it was an interesting way of organizing a workplace. But the workers on the game Love Struck in the beginning of 2020 through the middle of 2020 were in a conflict with their employer and walked out on a wildcat strike um, and won a bunch of like wait like wage increases and stuff like that they were organizing with uh yeah sorry they were organizing <laughs> with campaign to organize digital employees with the with the cwa and they were organizing on a model that's very sort of like horizontalist it's similar to what the iww does um which i find very interesting a solidarity based model and they were able to do it and all, most of these people are writers they write like fiction basically there's not a ton. There's programmers and like some of them, I think maybe write to, I, I know there is, it's exactly as you described it. There's some people who do both things. There's some people who do one part of it and who work in a team. It is this like really sort of like prismatic way of making culture and stuff like looks really different. There's, there's a whole bunch of different, there's 8 million in video games. There's 8 million different ways to make one shitty idea and there's 8 million different like great ways to make one really good idea as well. There's an infinite terrible and infinite great possibilities. Disco Elysium is a perfect video game. So that's the perfect example. We are like known like we bet we might as well stand on the street corner and just try and sell copies of that game at this point considering how much I've been doing that. I got like a big uh sign yeah uh, that I wear. What do you call those? Sandwich board. You know what I mean? Sandwich board. Yeah, fuck. Yeah, yeah. I got yeah. one of those. Oh, I was going to say a shame. <laughs> it's like, I seriously don't yeah. really play video games. They give me a lot of anxiety and I'm bad at them. Yeah. And then my boyfriend was showing me a little bit of it because he had also never played it. He's like, oh, hey, I've heard good things about this. And I was just like, oh, God, I have to buy this. This looks really cool and looks like it wouldn't give me anxiety because you just pick things. You know? yeah. When I said that video games are books, but computers, I was really just talking about Disco Elysium, which is just a book. <laughs> <laughs> it's, true. it's just kind of a book. <laughs> But with like weird ravers and techno kids. Yeah. Disco will never Yeah, it's die. a good book. It's a really good book. <laughs> I'll, I'll link to Kate's video. I sent that to Jay. Did you watch it? I haven't yet because I can't do anything right now. Gotcha. I know how that goes. It's a, good it's a really good video. I'm I'll put it in the notes. Yeah, you are. Oh, yeah. That's right. Hell yeah. Fuck, that's a good video. It's got both of us. Remember? You got to get some of that. Oh, my God. Gosh, over. That's right. And then you're in my next one. I am? You're I thought my... I was in the one that just came out. That's what I meant. It was it was my next. It was a bad sense oh. because I've been smoking <laughs> marijuana. 
That's illegal. No, no it's, it's not. not. We, oh, damn, son, where'd you find this? <laughs> oh, right, you're in Massachusetts. Yes. Oh I'm like shit. Probably, I don't know where in Mass you are, but I'm only like an hour away from Mass. Really? Cool. Yeah. I'm in Eastern Mass. Oh yeah, then I'm probably like an hour from you. It'll never be legalized here in the UK. We're just going to have a conservative government for the next hundred years. It's very good. In like Turf Island. Turf Island, yeah. Well, you got to have a conservative government for a hundred years because otherwise the trans people will create a big laser that turns you trans. That's the yeah. plan. I've already got my laser done. I don't know what they're okay. doing. <laughs> I will embrace the laser gods. Yeah. I can't wait for the trans lasers to come. I can't the wait for the... Tra- the transiting, <laughs> I hear, will be... Great transiting. Yeah, merciful and swift. Was that like K passes all the messages? I heard there would be like really. I heard there would be saunas. Oh, I got my sauna under construction right now. Yeah, I, I heard it. there would be saunas and uh, like gender inclusive massages. What is this? Soviet Russia? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Vodka for everyone. Fuck, that's a good clip. We need sound effects. Yeah, Kyle, we need we need that specific clip. That's going to be really and important. then just a bunch of Super Mario. Gender? What is this? Soviet Russia? Oh my god! It should be the next like library punk. Like the great the great trans laser is coming. <laughs> Don't reveal my secrets, God. Sorry, Jay. And now I'm going to have to start all over. I didn't mean to listen in on the last trans meeting. <laughs> I was giving my friend a ride. Your comrade, it's okay. <laughs> Kyle, we need to find someone who can do a good like Mario impression. We need a we need a clip of Mario saying like uh, it's a 1984. <laughs> We're going to get a lot of use out of that. Yeah, that'd be some good mileage. I mean, all I right. might just clip that from your track. Put some reverb on it. <laughs> Pitch it up. <laughs> so, let's. Uh, I guess we'll try and wrap up because uh, we've been going over an hour. I wish we could talk more about DMCA, but. Oh, um. Yeah. I noticed some like uh, in the notes. I noticed uh, one of you was was looking into like the legality of it. I, I am kind of interested in what what were I'll your findings? Them real quick. Yeah. We could always do a two-parter. That's true. You are always welcome back. Um, so I, so libraries can preserve video games. Obviously, they can break DMCA. And I went through the DMCA because every three years the DMCA has to have exemptions passed because it's a bad law, and so that's the only way it can function is to have these exemptions. And it looks like under copyright, you should be fine to make a full copy of your game. Under DMCA, it looks like you need to be an institution to break the encryption under the DMCA anti-circumvention. But it's not clear that basically there is some some weird judgments that have happened in the lower courts. So until it goes to a superior court, the answer is it's a gray area. And so that was the best I could find was, but if you're a cultural institution, you're fine. Individually, I would say just do it. I, I know that for at least movies with DRM on them, I know the Organization for Transformative Works, which is the organization that does AO3, Archive of Our Own, they worked with the Electronic Frontier Foundation 
so that people could break DRM on videos in order to do like fan vids. So I wonder if that same principle of like transformative work would apply to breaking the DRM on video games. DMCA exemptions have to be very specific. They take, they've taken multiple rounds to get them right. Like the first like three rounds. So the first nine years, most of those exemptions weren't phrased properly because no one told them how to, how to phrase them. So no one knew, no one could speak the right magic words and lawyer speak to, to get DMCA exemptions done. The good ones now get re, redone every three years. It's like the only thing I'll never forgive Prince for. Yeah. I think you said that. I think we mentioned DMCA last time. I felt like you said that last time. We mentioned DMCA. I, I mean, I will always be mad at Prince for DMCA, so I'll bring it up a lot. To close out, because I always want to do something kind of action oriented. Because, like, okay, yeah, change the change the means of production. I mean, that's a good goal. But what what can we do sort of now? So I um, you know, should people be backing up their own media? I think actually, me and Kay were talking in his stream about uh, in, in their stream, sorry, uh, about the the difficulty of PlayStation emulation. Like I had spent like a whole day doing it and, you know, I, I would say go for it because the enforcement is the whole of the law. And like, if you can't get caught, like if you're doing this all offline and stuff and not sharing it, making your own backups, you you are pretty much guaranteed not to get caught. And like, I, I was going to mention that I, my own personal project like this year is I bought an M disc drive so that I can make archival copies of like my documents that will like outlive me by a thousand years. <laughs> so people can read all of my uh, graduate school notes about like all the, all the books I, I, all the notes I took on Bernard Balin books for, for a thousand years. So I know Balin. Yeah. yeah I'm a, I'm a history boy too. That's right. I did my master's in history. Adla- Atlantic, Atlantic history. I did Atlantic history. Yep. That's, that's right on it. Atlantic labor history. Hey, I took a I took a class on in early modern Atlantic with and Justin taught it <laughs> with the teacher whomst just whomst and that teacher was Albert Einstein. Yes, yes. that's right. <laughs> I think you're completely right, though. Um, you you can't get caught. It's it's free real estate, baby. The this is legal advice. This is actionable mm-hmm. legal advice. Everything There's we no say. no consequences. That's right. Everything we say always, is actionable. Including legal all of the stuff I, I tweet about Sonic the Hedgehog that is also actionable legal advice. Yeah. That'll hold up in a court of law. For don't, sure. Don't even fucking worry. Absolutely. Already has. Um, I, don't, I don't know what a big pregnant Sonic has to do with legal advice, but I did enjoy that tweet. It's specific. Yeah, well, that's because you studied history, not law. Okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Ex- exactly. Um, for me, fair. it's it's this this image of um, a, a so- Sonic behind the 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 Molkat Doma building that that uh, Belarusian band. <laughs> I love that. I've got a. It's my favorite picture. It's my favorite. I just, it's just it, this is what that's what. Uh, it's a good ass building. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good picture. It's a good building. If, if there's anything, I like, I like a good tree and I like a good building. What was I talking? What was this, what were we talking about? I'm sorry, Kay. Impreg Sonic. Impreg pregnant Sonic. Right, right. <laughs> we were talking about pregnant Sonic. No, we we're talking about Sonic um, in the library. We're talking about like um, you know, backing up your own That's games and stuff. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. Pirate. <laughs> Carrie was excited because you talked about building and now she's sulking because I mentioned Impreg song. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie did like a whole episode. It's like library buildings, but really let's talk about brutalism for an hour. Oh, hell yeah. yes. I mean, come That's on. Yeah, right. the, the title was I Simp for Concrete or something. Oh, it's pretty it's good. so good. <laughs> you back up games. You mod in pregnant Sonic. No one can stop you. It's legal. Yes. Uh, Sega can eat shit. They can't do anything to you. I also think as in terms of like, you know, what can people do? Um, I think part of it is just to be a pain in the ass in like gamer spaces where they just want to talk about the new fucking Funko pop instead, just insist on being like, Hey, isn't it uh, maybe going to be a problem if uh, stadia just like can just take these games away from us for no reason. There's nothing we can do because none of us have access to it. Do you think, I don't know. Can any of you guys see any problems with that? You know, just, just be that fucking guy and, and just be a fucking, it's just like being a communist. Just be that fucking guy. who's a massive nuisance. And is like, Hey, maybe actually think about the thing that you're not supposed to think about. Fuck. Okay, fine. I guess you're right. Communism means annoying. That's what communism (laughs) means. Yeah. You gotta be a pain. (laughs) the the Lennon yeah uh-huh. yeah except it's pregnant Sonic yeah, yeah. <laughs> he must be a communist impreg Sonic is a is we a comrade some, like, death of Stalin drops that'd be funny oh, well, oh yeah do I don't relate to that I'm sorry I which part well I just don't relate to Sega consoles yeah. I don't know. I don't really like the Sonic games. I just think Sonic is very funny as a cultural item at this point. As a philosophical figure, as a theorist. As a fi- <laughs> as now, a theorist, how would you yeah. say he relates to Boss Baby to tie it back? Oh. Um, <laughs> or thesis. Sonic- That's all the time we have tonight, folks. <laughs> Sonic is a disruptive. Sonic and Boss Baby would be enemies. I'll just put it that way. Definitely. Whoever wins, we lose. I think Sonic is fundamentally an eco-socialist, right? Yeah. I mean, that's sort of his plot. That Certainly an eco-terrorist of some kind. And I, I support <laughs> yeah. Potentially a propaganda of the deed kind of like, what were the, those, those, those guys in I the 90s? I think it just bothered me. You know, I, I think it just bothered me that like Sonic was naked, but wore tennis shoes. It doesn't that even shirt cocking it. Like. Yeah, he's not even Donald Duck. Like, he's not even like... <laughs> He's not even Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. yeah, he's not like he's not even Daffy Ducking, but like he's wearing fucking shoes. He's gotta go fast, Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need those hot pants. <laughs> 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 but like, he can at least wear some fucking shorts. Like he can Mickey Mouse it. No, he's just gonna like sling dog. <laughs> like, <laughs> but he's got no junk. Like it's so. Fucking weird. Well, it's like when Donald. I don't like Donald it. Duck doesn't wear pants, but he gets out of the shower and wraps a towel around his waist. Why? <laughs> yeah, Donald Duck also doesn't have a junk. Yeah, Donald Duck is fucking creepy as shit too. I fucking hate Donald Duck. <laughs> All my homies hate Donald Duck. Fuck Donald Duck. <laughs> <laughs> This is a uh, call-out video. Yeah, fuck you, Donald Duck. You suck. Please respond. To bring it back to video games, Donald Duck is goofy. (laughs) Don't do shit in Kingdom Hearts. 
yeah, yeah. what just a bunch of fucking dead weights in kingdom hearts is what they are yeah. they're a fucking blight I on that get past team the hercules level because i'm bad at video games no you're it's not that you're bad it's that donald duck and goofy are fucking slackers <laughs> who contribute okay, nothing yeah have you ever had a job <laughs> to where that you have that you have a like the you have a manager that just doesn't need to exist and clearly all the basically all of all, jobs. all the jobs yeah like anything that's above like an immediate like like shift liaison person who like sort of like like a floor manager or a shift lead uh, those jobs to where people go they walk around and like talk about things and tell people it's stuff that literally any like a group of people could do it's like that they're like that they're the ma- managerial the managerial class oh um, a middle man a uh, middle manager yeah the the, the middle yeah. managers of the kingdom hearts universe yeah that's donald duck and goofy yeah sure those games don't make sense to me those things so the, don't make the, sense to anybody yeah they yeah, don't, no, make don't sense even to worry anybody. about that is it, is it final <laughs> fantasy kind of yeah yeah well in more ways than one there's like twinks with hair and then <laughs> my wife yeah. has there. tried to explain kingdom hearts to me so many times she's sp- spent so many hours and so many youtube videos and i still am just like there's a there's dude like named xeno heart who is somehow also a dude named axel i don't know listen she's fronting she doesn't fucking there's understand it either nobody like does yeah it was all a dream that's there's a lot of it's, it's a dream Damn, my man just put a hat on to punctuate his point. That was fucking sick. I respect that. <laughs> Did I? Yeah, yeah. And, and me and, and me and Kyle Flawless. are in Eastern time, so yeah. So thanks so much for coming on. I'm gonna plug your Twitters and the Agab Twitter. Do you want me to add your channels to the link? Yeah, Do sure. sure. Yeah. Twitch stream, all that stuff. I'll put it all in there. Nice. I think we could summarize by saying be gay, do crime. Though. Yeah, be be yeah. gay, do do video game crimes. Be mm-hmm. game, be game, do crime. Yep, yep. Do do present. Yep. Uh, All I was trying to think of crime. M disc. I couldn't get M disc. <laughs> preserve shit. I don't know. Just back up your shit. Twenty twenty one. Year of physical media. Yep. Oh yeah, that's true. We say on a digital podcast. Shit. <laughs> I released this on vinyl. <laughs> uh release it on dat tapes get laser disc laser disc laser disc betamax laser discs are really good for operas because i'm one of those gays mm. oh, that rolls this is what i expect from this podcast that's yeah thanks matthew forever <laughs> Thank you, in matthew. our hearts it's like he's here thank you matthew <laughs> hey it's spooky season it's bathew time <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's the goth librarians all unite. Yeah. Okay. Uh, So I will go ahead and say good night.